flat tire. How do I tie a bow tie again? What's the fastest way to Hartford Hospital? Tell my wife I'm going to be 30 minutes late. Tell my husband I'm not surprised. Tell my wife if she has a problem with my work schedule, she's more than welcome to get a job of her own. Tell my husband that I do just as much work as he does. Tell my wife that if watching Ellen is a job, she should get a promotion. Message from your husband. I appreciate you. What did he actually say? Please don't drag me into this. Siri, call my husband. Siri, ignore the call. Tell my husband that he said he'd respect my choice to stay at home with our child. Tell my wife I would, but she can't even get around to washing his overalls. Did you want me to search for flower shops nearby? Tell my husband. Oh dear. Ask my husband what he means by that. Tell my wife I think she knows. Hey look. I googled anger management techniques. Tell my husband to think very carefully before he says whatever he's about to say. Ask my wife. My husband, how dare he? Tell my wife that's not an answer. Is this my fault? Tell my husband that I will not answer that. Ask my wife and... Searching for a place to hide. Tell my husband... Want to... Tell him! Please don't make me... Do it! Send my wife directions! Yeah! <laughs> Wow, that couple is back. Crazy, huh? So I hope you're uh, feeling okay about being here this morning as we talk about husbands and wives and their roles and try to have some indicators how that all should unfold. We're in the middle of a series called This Is Us, and we're talking about relationships and how God can define and inform our relationships. And this morning, it's husbands and wives. Next week, it's children. We continue to work our way through this. Now, if you've ever watched the TV show, This Is Us, uh, I've watched a few episodes of it, and uh, there's just drama after drama after drama. Uh, it really draws some people in. It makes me sometimes feel very exhausted. It just keeps going and going and going. But uh, that kind of reflects sometimes our life, hopefully not the intensity, not the frequency, but some of the things they talk about, some of the things they deal with, we deal with us, and that's why this is us. Now, the one major difference is, is that when you watch the show, the episodes I've seen, the write-ups I've seen, you really don't see, see God interacting in their circumcised, uh, circumcised, yeah, in their uh, circumcised, uh, now I'm stuck. Thank you. Get me off that word. Now I'm very nervous. No. <laughs> anyway, so let's close in prayer. No, just kidding. Um, okay, so... You just don't see uh, God interacting in their um, circumstances. I'm just not going to just uh, move on, Dave. So anyway, anyway, uh, you know, they basically are good people trying to do their best, but there's this piece missing, and that's God in their conversations uh, in their life. And as we continue to dive into this, you know, we're, we're in a day and age where things are just hard and difficult. And what we're going to see is Paul, even though he wrote these words, God-inspired words to a church, to some Christ followers, they speak to us these 2,000 years later. And uh, we have COVID going on. It seems to be going on forever, whatever that means. Uh, there's stuff going on at the border. There's employment issues. There's politics. There's uh, violence across our country. There's Afghanistan and other places. Uh, there's the whole thing, if you've got kids in school, how you're navigating that and what's happening next. And uh, so there's just lots of things going on. There's just lots of tension and uh, even next week, uh, I'm going to be in major tension as the New England Patriots take on the Buccaneers. I don't know who should win. I'm just broken up about that. But uh, this, this past week, someone wrote to me because it seems like there just is thing after thing after thing. And they text messaged me some of the things that were going on. And there was one line in their text message, and that was this. We could use a break. And probably a lot of us a lot of us would say the same thing. We could use a break. And I think Paul speaks into craziness in life, and the reality is that uh, there might not be a break. There might be just always turmoil. Uh, we might not go back to the good old days, whatever those good old days were. So how do we navigate that, especially when it comes to husbands and wives? Now, some of you, you know, it's not on your radar, or you've already done that, or uh, it's just, you know, just talking about that. You know, if you're watching online, you just want to click and go to something else. 
please don't do that. Uh, but uh, for those of us here, I do think no matter where you are, stage and age of life, no matter what's going on in your life, there'll be something in today's message that can speak to you and help you as we talk about roles and what they uh, are supposed to look like. Uh, before Paul gets into it, when he's talking to the Colossians, this is what he says. He says, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. If you look at life in New Testament days, you look at life when Paul's writing these things, again, it was crazy. People would have said if they had phones and could have texted, we just need a break. Yet Paul writes this and says, we can actually, as we interact, as we, as we unfold our life, walking hand in hand with God, we can actually thank God every step of the way. There can actually be a gratefulness even when things are hard. And we can find that every part of our life we do in the name of the Master Jesus. Now, it's interesting, when a Hebrew person reads in the name of the Master Jesus, they read the word Jesus and they see Joshua. That really is what Jesus is. It's Joshua. So Joshua in the Older Testament, if we were to change the name and translate it to English, would be Jesus. And Joshua, Jesus means God save us. God saves. And so when we read that word, Jesus does save us. He saves us in eternity. We just sang about those things. But he saves us in the day and out situations as we follow his lead. So again, as we, as we get into this uh, and as we start to unfold this, um, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit and go to a couple passages. Uh, what I'd like to see is this is, the, this is the crazy, this is the difficult word that nobody likes when we talk about that, and that is this idea of submit. In Ephesians, Paul starts to talk about family life, and he starts off with this, submit to one another out of reverence. And most of us do not like that word. Most of us do not like that word. When I was growing up in high school and into early college, one of the things we liked to do as boys, we were like puppy dogs, we would wrestle, right? And uh, I was pretty good size, and I liked wrestling because I usually won. We'd get in there, you know, this big pig pile, and guys just, you know, you know, just wrestling, and you know, whatever. And uh, so I liked to do that until I got to college. And one night, it was just a night, and all of a sudden, it just started happening, and I started wrestling with my RA. And up to that time, I would always win. And this wasn't any technical, like, high school wrestling. Or, this was just, you know, just wrestling like puppy dogs or whatever. And into wrestling with him, I realized he was much stronger than I was. He could move my arm, and my, I, I just, I could not, I could not get an upper hand on him, even though I was a little bigger and heavier. He, he was extremely strong. And as we're wrestling, usually you get to a point where you give up. You submit. You say, uncle, whatever you want to say it, and it's usually no big deal. But I did not want to give up. And I just kept wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And this RA, he was a great guy. You could tell he was getting a little nervous because I was not giving up. And he started to feel sorry for me, but he wasn't going to let me win, obviously. But, uh, you know, so, and, and finally, I was all done. I submitted, I gave up, because I was all done. There was, I could not do anything. I mean, I was done, I was exhausted. And some of us, when we look at that word submission, to anyone, we feel that way. We don't want to submit to anyone. We feel it's un-American. Yet here it is as a Christ follower, we're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, said another way is this, and the Spirit makes it possible to submit humbly to one another out of respect for the anointed one. Anointed one being Jesus. And so it's interesting that, uh, that in this rendering, in this translation, the, the Spirit makes it possible because really when you and I as a Christ follow, if we said yes to Christ, it is hard to submit to anyone. It's hard to do that. And the Spirit makes it possible. 
Hopefully, if you've said yes to Christ, you're walking with God, and walking with God gives your conscience the understanding of, of when to submit, when to, when to uh, I like how it says, humbly, you have the power not to submit. When I was wrestling with that RA, um, I did not have any other power but to submit. But there are other those times where you and I can get the upper hand. Maybe it's in a conversation. Maybe it's in an academic setting. Uh, maybe it's in a sports setting. Maybe it's just, uh, uh, you know, you know in, a, in a work thing. You can be the center. And you have to actually take the power you have and humbly pull it back and submit for somebody else's benefit. You know, when uh, I was a youth pastor way back in the day, one of the things we loved to do is play floor hockey, and uh, we would just have so much fun with that. Middle school, high school, we had two different groups, and uh, in those days, I could do pretty well, and I liked playing floor hockey. Why? Because I got to be like a star. I'd go, score, again, again, and then all of a sudden, one day, I realized, this is about the kids. This isn't about you. You need to back off. You need to let them have fun. You don't, you know, it's not about you and being the hockey star. Oh, Dave, get in, you know. I had to humbly submit. And there's times where you and I are in relationships with others and situations where we need to give up the upper hand and let someone else shine, help somebody else out, serve somebody, and give even though we have the power to stay, in a sense, on top. You need to realize that. Um, another... Rendering says it this way, the easy read version says, be willing to serve each other out of respect for Christ. Be willing. Some of you are very articulate. Some of you have good stories. I have to be aware of this sometimes. I'm with a group of people, and uh, you know they're telling a story, and I have, all of a sudden it comes to mind, I know a better story. They had that happen, but I'm going to tell this story. And I just go, no, wait a minute, Dave. Power under control. Let that person tell the story. Let that person enjoy the laugh of the story or the point of the story, and you keep your mouth shut. Serve somebody else. Be willing. And we show respect for Christ, because Christ ultimately demonstrated this, didn't he? He humbly served us. He submitted himself. He, he went from the glories of heaven. We only have some ideas of what that could even be. But heaven was better than being on planet Earth. Think of your favorite place on the planet where there's nature is beautiful, all those things. And heaven is still way beyond that. He's in the throne room, angels serving him. He comes, is born a little baby, humbling himself. Doesn't use his deity. We don't know how all that works. Fully God, fully man. There's a part where we just don't understand that. And he humbles himself. Ultimately, we sang about it. He dies on the cross. God raises him again. But he goes through all of that. That is humbly serving one another. That, that, was, that was submission. And so when we start to think about submission, we need to take the worst examples of that, someone domineering, someone enforcing themselves on somebody in whatever way and making other people submit and kind of park that idea, that, that word has been hijacked and realize when you and I submit, God calls us, Jesus calls us to submit to one another and to do it humbly and reverently in light of what God has done for us. You know, when we get into some of these subjects and we start thinking about the order of things and how things work, um, you know, when we think about Christianity and society, I'm going to make a statement, and I think if you research this statement, you would, you would agree with me about all of this, and we get into orders of husbands and wives and families and all those kinds of things, it can be very, uh, you know, polarizing, is this, is that in every society that has moved towards a Christ-centered worldview, women and children fare better. If that is not the case, it is not a Christ-centered worldview. Absolutely not. When a society moves to servant leadership, loving like Jesus loved, submitting to each other like Jesus did, the world gets better. Uh, we could go across our world, we'd see historical things where it was completely different. It was about power and the name of Christianity. That is not what I'm talking about. Many of our hospitals, many of our education institutions are there because Christ followers said, I need to serve the world. I hope this is true. If it is not true, something's gone right. 
women and children should be taught, treated with esteem and value and honor if you're a Christ follower. That, that's the way it should be. If that's not the case, you are not living out of a Christ-centered worldview. And shame on us as churches historically when we haven't gotten upset about that and have let that go on. Our most cherished things, if you're a husband, your most cherished thing in your life should be your bride, whether she's been your bride for six months, two years, 50 years, 60 years, and only 70 years, whatever. And it should be completely different. So when we talk about these things, everyone can come up with examples of just horrendous things, uh, faith words, uh, weaponized to get your own way, to, to, to get it my way. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, don't let some of these terms, some of these ideas be hijacked by extreme, horrific, bad behavior. Please don't. Please don't. So Paul writes, Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in the ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Do not take advantage of them. That is huge. That environment is different than a lot of environments. When this really gets played out, when a husband sets the tone, leads in a home out of his relationship with Christ, as a servant leader, as Jesus giving his life for the church, that is a completely different experience than a lot of these situations. If husbands go out in their love for wives, don't take that, that's completely different. That is what we're talking about. Uh, this does not mean that uh, you know that uh, you know you're, you're, you have to submit to your husband. This, this is this is in the way of domineering. It's completely different than that. And when this kind of style of life is being lived out, wives ought to invite your husband to lead. Um, yes, they don't want to stereotypical stereotype everyone, but there is a difference. There is a men are wired different than women are. Wired. I remember I didn't go back and find it, but a few years ago there was a, actually on the front of the Time, you know, Time magazine. It actually said that. It was like, newsflash, men and women are different. Really? Yeah, you know, I mean, oh, okay, you know, because up until then, that wasn't the case. Yes, environment has something to do with it, but we're also wired different. Yes, you can find the extreme example of somebody else that doesn't fit into that mode, but in their normal circumstances. And so then uh, Paul goes on. And this is the Ephesians passage, which is very parallel, a little expanded than the Colossians passage. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show support for Christ. The way a husband provides leadership to his wife, the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. I'll say this, even with my own personal relationship with Christ, I'm called to surrender my life to him. I'm called to submit to him. And as I begin my relationship with Christ, as I've said yes to him, and all of a sudden he starts leading in my life through his spirit, there are times where I go, no, I don't want to do that. I think that's going to take away from life. But the more I've experienced following Christ, I discover that saying yes to him, even when it makes me uncomfortable, even when I'm really not into it, actually in the long run is the best for me. So there's been some things where I've had to maybe have a little bit more integrity, a little more character, and I say no to this and yes to that, and I really don't want to do that, but the Spirit leads me, Christ leads me, I find that that was actually better for me. In these situations in marriage, as a 
wife discovers that her husband really has her interests and the interests of kids, if there's kids, at the heart of his decision-making, it starts to change how this all works out. Now, we got to remember that submission is a military term, which means to submit your agenda to the greater whole. So armies need to move in this way. And uh, if there's not someone in charge directing, uh, it just would fall apart. And good military leaders care about the people that are serving under them. They want the best for them. When a military leader watches their service personnel get hurt, killed, that, that, that should break them up. They shouldn't just write that off. They're trying to serve those who, in a sense, serve for them. So again, this idea that submission is an invitation for someone to lead. And uh, some of us have been experiences where um, we've never had that invitation, and some of us uh, you know, have done it so badly there's no credibility when it comes to these kinds of situations. And we've already talked about this flowing out of your relationship with God. For God has given husbands a sacred duty to lead as the anointed, as Jesus leads the church and serves as the head. Sacred duty. Sacred duty. I don't know about you, but I sometimes think about that, and I don't like having that sacred duty. I am responsible for my family. I'm responsible for if I'm selfish or not selfish. I am responsible for that. And it's different than what Cindy's responsible for. Just the same way in a church. You have your leaders. You have your leadership team. They're affirmed by the church family. Someday, there'll be this reckoning where we have to answer for the way we led those in the church. I think it's the same way with families and husbands changes everything when we mirror our leadership to Christ's leadership for the church. You see, submission grows when a servant leader's relationship can be trusted. Some of you have been in relationships where your husband is self-serving. We all do that to some degree and can't be trusted. Some of us as husbands need to restart, not make a big pronouncement, maybe ask for forgiveness, and then start living differently so that we actually have some credibility to be trusted. And if we don't have any credibility to be trusted, why would everyone trust us? You know, I remember when... um, not to pick on these shows because I thought they were really funny. You remember Tim the Tool Man? And uh, you remember, uh, you know, everybody loves Raymond. And you start watching those things. And, and it's really funny until all of a sudden one day I realized these guys are the guys that are coming into my office with their wives because they don't get it. They're so self-centered. It's funny watching on a TV show, but it really isn't funny. Just watch this little clip. Make decisions around here. When you stop taking any responsibility, you don't help me at all. You can't even wash a dish. Maybe I'd wash a dish if I didn't have to look at those repulsive curtains. <laughs> and he just goes on and on and on. That's all funny and everything unless you're living it. That's not funny. I don't want my daughters to marry guys like that. They may be nice guys. They may provide. I do not want them marrying guys like that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just self-centered. Paul in Romans writes this, and this goes to all Christians in every relationship, so obviously it ought to apply first and foremost in your family, in your marriage. Each one of us needs to look to the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. Men... Sometimes we don't like trouble, so we totally disengage. That's not what Jesus did. If Jesus did disengaged, we'd be lost. We just sang about it. 
It's wonderful that God didn't disengage. Some people, when they think about who God is and people think about the possibilities of God, they go, yeah, I think there might be a God out there, but he's just kind of like set things in motion and just is kind of uninvolved anymore. That's not a loving Heavenly Father. So we have the example of engagement, and that's what Jesus did. That's what God does. So we need to be creating, wherever we're leading, we need to be creating a wake of trust. I may not get it, I may not understand it, I I may think differently, but you have my trust. I understand that you're not perfect, but you have my trust. I know you want the best for me and our family. You see, submission is not the same thing as obedience. This is not what we're talking about. Not talking about it. Submission is not a husband making independent decisions apart from his wife. That's just not considerate. I mean, that that really is not considerate. And, And get me wrong, Jesus wants us to be nice, especially to the person we're married to. So that's not consideration. So I don't have to quote you a million verses for that. That's just not nice. It's not polite. So it's not the same as obedience. This does not limit women from the highest leadership positions in a company or politics. Doesn't do any of that. But as you and I as men in these kinds of relationships build up credibility, our spouse will start to trust us. But if you have to strong arm it, that means maybe you haven't built up enough trust. Now, if that never happens, then there might be something else going on. I I love the story of uh, Timothy Keller. He's a pastor who started a church in New York City, very successful. He's recently retired, uh, done really good work. And uh, this is a story that um, his wife writes about referring to this whole idea. Let me just read it to you. In the late 1980s, our family was comfortably situated in a very livable suburb of Philadelphia where Tim held a full-time position as a professor. Then he got an offer to move to New York City to plant a new church. He was excited about the idea, but I was appalled. Raising our three wild boys in Manhattan was unthinkable. Not only that, but almost no one knew, who knew anything about Manhattan thought that this project would be successful. I also knew that this would not be something that Tim would be able to do as a 9-to-5 job. It would absorb the whole family and nearly all of our time. It was clear to me that Tim wanted to take the call, but I had serious doubts that it was the right choice. I expressed my strong doubts to Tim, who responded, well... If you don't want to go, then we won't go. However, I replied, oh, no, you don't. You aren't putting this decision on me. That's abdication. If you think this is the right thing to do, then exercise your leadership and make the choice. It's your job to break this um, logjam. It's my job to wrestle with God until I can joyfully support your your call. Tim made the decision to, go, to come to New York City and plant Redeemer Presbyterian Church. The whole family, my sons included, considered it one of the most truly manly things he ever did because he was quite scared, but he felt a call from God at that point. Excuse me. At that point, Tim and I were both submitting to the roles that we were not perfectly comfortable with, but it is clear that God worked in us through us when we accepted our gender roles as a gift from the designer of our hearts. See how that kind of works. Again, there's a lot of moving parts in that, but that's the way God intends. Recently, um, you've heard us talking about uh, with Will retiring and becoming a chiropractor. What a step down from being our youth director. Uh, We've talked about working forward and trying to have somebody who could be full-time. 
And with that, one of the pieces of that is obviously that's going to cost us more money. So one of the things we've been batting around, you know, as we look at our budget and as we get into that season of talking about those things is that basically that's a 15% increase over our overall budget to cover that uh, position. And so I've been talking with Cindy, and I've said, you know, when this all starts to happen, uh, you know, I brought it up to her, I, I would like to increase our giving by 15%. So if you give $10, you give $11.50, $11 right? That's right. Yep. So, and so, so, you know, I'm not telling you what we're doing. But anyway, so, we, so I talked to Cindy. I brought that up. And in our household, I'm very fortunate that Cindy takes care of all the finances. There's always food on the table. There's money for gas. And I don't have to think about it. But I sometimes want to do these things. And, and she's the one who has to make it all work, right? So it's, in some ways, it could be very unfair to her. We're going to spend more money here. And she has to figure out how that's all going to work. That's, you know, and so, so I asked her and said, can we do this? And I would really like to do this. And she says, well, we'll be a little, but I think we can. And there's one of those situations, just a little situation where I'm feeling called by God to do something that that's serious. Just don't, you don't feel called about just anything, right? Feeling called, led, whatever you want to say to do something. And it wasn't necessarily on Cindy's radar. And she responds and goes, yeah, I think, I think we can, we can do that. This idea, again, of letting men lead and set the tone and how that all, again, unfolds and how it works with that. Um, going along with this, you know, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the law. This does not mean that uh, a wife just does whatever her husband says. It needs to be fitting in the Lord. And guys, you cannot weaponize that little phrase. I tell you, if you say... I think the Lord's leading or whatever, you better make sure that that's just not, an, not a, a cover for selfishness. The Lord's leading me to start a new business and leave my job and do this. You better make sure that is God-led and you better have the credibility and this isn't something you just decide one night. You've got to build that. There's got to be some momentum. There's got to be some history for this to work. Um. So, you know, as we, as we think about this, you, you know, this, this really isn't easy. And then, you, then this whole idea here is this is the question we go. Have you invited your husband to lead? Um, have you as a husband the credibility for your wife to ask you to lead? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that. In all of this, I think we ought to be trying to be that person that God wants us to be so all of these roles and all these functions become more natural and more organic and easier. Um, read again uh, in, the, in this little article, the typical man remains unmoved by power plays or criticism by a wife who disrespects him. He is moved by a wife who lets him lead and then helps him get where, and I added this, God wants him to go. That to me is so important, that God wants him to go. So as we, as we think about this, then we've got to think about, so have we offered our spouse the option to lead? Are we as a spouse, as a husband, living a way that actually facilitates that, makes, that seems to make sense? If you're making bad decisions all the time, it doesn't make sense. Then we put that out there. The next thing we talk about as husbands is this. Husbands, lead your wife with applied love. Not stated love, not spoken love, applied love. Are you actually living out applied love for your wife? I love this explanation that comes from actually an insurance company when they describe the different nuances of the word love in the Greek language. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love as an action. This is good. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love. 
so they can look back or look ahead and say, we got it right. We got it right. In theory, the church, Christ followers, have been spending the last 2,000 years trying to get it right. We've got to get it right. This love. Husbands are to live applied love. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Exactly, not partially, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Giving, not getting. Is that the way your love honestly is expressed? You can dress it up, make it selfish, but put it in this package that kind of makes it like it's giving, but it's really getting. That's the kind of love that we as husbands are to apply to our wives. When that's not the case, no wonder women react to men behaving badly the way they do. Often the church has been silent on that. Not upset the apple cart. That is, that's, that's wrong. That's not correct. So as we think about this, we have three expressions of that. Husbands, love your wives wholly with everything you have. Everything you have. That means we sacrifice. We sacrifice for our spouse, our family. That is the way we live. It costs us something. Uh, I know there was, I've shared this maybe before, but there was a time when we were living in South Portland, Maine, and uh, pastoring there, and it's on the coast, and there's all these islands, Casco Bay, and I wanted a sea kayak. Sea kayak's a little different, has a little rudder on the back, and a bunch of my buddies had them, and I wanted one badly. And we could swing it. We could swing it, so it wasn't going to cost financially be a problem. But I did know, it was just about the time we started having babies, we'd been married almost eight years, and then we had twins, and then 18 months later we had another one, so we had three over that period of time. And I realized, Sydney even felt okay with me getting this, I realized what that was going to do was that was going to take me out of the house, off with my buddies. Because once I had that kayak, I needed to use it. So I realized this was the wrong time to get something that was going to pull me away from the family. Once the kids are all grown up, I can get as many kayaks as I want. But now, no. This is the kind of thing, giving yourself wholly, and not, not doing that begrudgingly, oh, you know, I'm giving up, you know, no, no, no. You're delighted to do that because you can touch the life of your family. You can invest in the life of your wife. You can still be in love, so when the kids get out, you're still in love. When they're on their way, that's what you do. You love your wife wholly with everything that you have. Going along with this um, is this verse out of Philippians. Again, this is general to Christians, so you should, if you apply this generally, you should definitely be applying this and living this out in your home life. And whatever you do, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Be humble, power under control, and honor others more than yourselves. That needs to start at home. Needs to start at home. And husbands, I feel like I'm picking on you, but I'm picking on me too. I'm reminding myself of this. Husbands, understand how you not treating your spouse, your wife, your bride, well, affects your life spiritually. Husbands, you in turn must treat your wives with tenderness, viewing them as feminine partners who deserve to be honored. This isn't a slam. That's, they're not boys. They're a girl, right? And deserve to be honored for they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Yikes! Yo, you're telling me, Peter, and Peter definitely was married, you're telling me if I'm self-centered, if it's all about me, if I take advantage, because I've got the power in theory, maybe I do, 
that it affects my spiritual life. It affects my prayer life. It affects my relationship with God. So my relationship with my spouse, horizontal relationship, affects vertical relationship with God. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is some of the missteps I feel when it comes to my faith. It's because I'm not honoring my spouse. And God's like, this is so basic, Dave. Get it together. Once you get that basic thing, then we can move on and start working on some of these other things you're praying for. But until then, work it out. Figure it out. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Also, husbands, love your wives to holiness. Empower her to be fully God's. Set life up in such a way that she can invest in her relationship with God. Save some money, let her go on a weekend retreat, and you watch the kids and don't complain about it. Make it pleasant for her to go away, not feel like she's going to have to pay for it for the next three months because you're going to be babying and crying about it, and you're going to be saying next time you want to go out, well, remember the time I let you go away for a whole week? Don't do that. Empower her to be fully God. Let her be all that she can be. On a daily basis, that means there ought to be a time where you step in and let the kids be at you, and she can, like, hide away. Maybe it's just 20 minutes, maybe it's a half an hour, and have some her time with God. Set that up. Do what you can to let her be all she can be. There's a couple times in our life together where I've said to Cindy, do you want to go on for more schooling? Do you want to go do this? I don't. Yes, I feel called by God to be this pastor, but that's not at the exclusion of you being who God wants you to be. So if you want to go to school, we'll, we'll make it work. If you want to go get your master's, we'll make it work. She wasn't interested in that, but I, I, I was serious about that. I was fortunate I saw my father model that. My father was working on his doctorate at Harvard, and my mother hadn't ever finished college, and he made it possible that she wanted to go get her associate's degree. And so that meant on Saturdays, she was gone off doing her classwork, and he was home with us. It was worse on us than anybody. But anyway, uh, he just was like, you can ask him when he's here next week. So anyway, but do are you empowering her to be God's fully? Christ's love makes the church whole. His works invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. If you and I are to reflect Christ as husbands and the love for the church, then this is what we ought to be doing with our spouses, bringing the best out of them, not not bogging them down so they're just always off, you know, not, not making life so hard that they're tired and, yeah, they got a short fuse and they're, they're not as nice as you think they ought to be. Well, have you created some of that scenario? Have you made it harder for them so that they are snappy? Is that, yes, they're responsible for their actions, but, but have you created the environment so that's the way it is? When that happens, shame on us. Bring the best out in her. Someday, someday, we as Christ followers believe that we will give an accounting for our lives. Uh, And when we do that, there's going to be this opportunity for Christ to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I want Cindy to be able to get that. I want her to get that award, if you will. So I want to do everything on my part, and I've, I can't, it's not all my thing, but I want to do everything possible that I set her up to get that. And that's the same way I felt about our girls, still feel about our girls. I want to set things up. I feel that way about you. I want us to arrive in heaven, and for the things we've done as a church in this time period, for you to get it well done because we created an environment, what we could do, so that you could grow as much you could be all you could be. Also, there's this idea of husbands love your wives to wholeness. Anticipate her needs. Anticipate what they want. What, 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 what makes them tick? How can you just be nice? Think of them. 
We have this little cutesy thing that happens usually when one of us is leaving the living room and going to get a drink or going to whatever, and uh, we'll say, you know, I'll say to our city, do you need anything? No, I'm fine, except the only thing I need is you. I'll go, oh, thank you. You could say it all day long. But again, anticipating what the other person wants. And this is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they've already won in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. This is how Christ treats us, the church. Bottom line, this is how we ought to treat our wives. Really moved by this little video clip that talks about how a husband anticipates his wife's needs and how he completely serves her. I don't count it a burden whatever to have to care for her. I I need to do everything from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed. I do absolutely everything. Um, Clean her teeth, uh, shower, dress, everything. And um, but it's, pri- it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year where we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16, I saw her dolled up, dressed up and she had an A-line dress on and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> When we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was, and that was about five kilometers on a Saturday afternoon, because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her, and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo, and I can still smell it, because that smell was so particular, so nice. It was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike, and then Glad had a bike as well, and we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike, and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives, and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a, a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that one. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't have it. (laughs) Any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, no, no. no, not at all. We love each other. Now she can't, but I can. That doesn't look like a man that feels burdened caring and loving his wife. So what do you do with a message like this? I know there's a lot more blanks in your outline to fill out. You can get those online later on today. They'll be uploaded, and you can just fill those in on your own. But what do you do with a situation like this, a message like this? Do you leave feeling guilty, low, or do you go, wow, there's possibilities. My life, my marriage can go in a whole other place. I'm not married now, but I hope to be married someday. That's what I want. 
I'm going to start becoming the person that a person like that would actually want to be married to. So I'm not going to begrudge that I'm not there yet, but I'm going to invest in becoming a person like th- that would be attracted to a person that I'm going to become like. So as we think about this, we think about there's this, uh, there can be this gap, the gap between the real and the ideal, but hopefully that gap between the real and the ideal ignites us to show up or give up, but not give up. So you have that choice. You can show up and start trying to incorporate these things. You don't do this alone. If Christ has put his love in your heart, if you've said yes to Jesus, you have all the resources you need to live this way. If you've not said yes to Jesus, you can, and then you can have all the resources to live this way. So rather than giving up, you show up. And I tell you, I, I am pretty fortunate for the woman that I got to marry. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it easy for me, but it's pretty, pretty fortunate. And I am just so happy that usually every week both of us want to show up instead of give up. And it makes life awesome. And that's available to all of us. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We just thank you that uh, you want the best for us. Submitting to you in our relationships isn't a burden, isn't taking something away. It's actually bringing richness into our life. All of us are at different ages and stages of life, and so all this has a little different meaning with us. It cuts a different way. But Lord, I ask that you would help us to incorporate, digest what needs to be digested in our life for now, to point to the future. And again, if there's anyone here who has never said yes to you, we ask that in this moment, that say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for covering over my self-centeredness, my sin, rising again so that I can have a future with you and that future can start in the here and now. Help me, I pray. So Lord, we just uh, ask all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen.